Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Allen. I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst James Early, Shannon Zimmerman, and Tim Hanson. Guys, happy Friday. Happy, happy Friday, Friday to you, Chris. Chris. Seth Jason is out this week because he decided that being there for the birth of his first child was somehow more important than being here for this podcast. I mean, can you believe it? What's with the priorities on this guy? <laughs> anyway, we got a lot to get to this week, including things heating up between Google and Apple. AIG reports a quarterly profit. Yes, AIG. China does something that makes Bernie Madoff really, really glad he lives in America. And as always, we'll share three stock ideas. But we begin with Friday's better-than-expected jobs numbers. The unemployment rate for July fell to 9.4%, down from June's 9.5%. The markets opened up sharply on the news, with the S&P hitting a 10-month high. Shannon, we got talk that the recession is easy. We've even got some talk out there that the recession may already be over. What What's the takeaway for investors? Uh, certainly neither of those. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> Should I have given you more options? Uh, well, I'm going to make up my own option, actually. So it is good news. There's just no getting around that. And that's, that's wonderful. Fewer people out, are out of work. And uh, that in itself is terrific news. And it's especially good news when you connect that dot to the fact that our economy is powered largely by consumer spending. But uh, you know we're still within spending distance of 10%. Most economists seem to think that that's, uh, that's the figure that we're going to arrive at by the end of the year. And when consumers are not spending, and they're saving more. That's ultimately a good thing in the, for the long haul. But when the economy needs stimulating, that's not helping uh, much uh, of anything. And so, from the investing perspective, you know, people need to take a look at economic and fundamental corporate fundamental reality and compare that to a market that's risen by forty percent since the March lows. Are there bargains out there to be had? Yes, absolutely. But right now, it pays to be choosy, and people should cultivate their inner stock snob. Well, I, I was about to say that I was going to take a pin and prick Shannon's balloon just a little bit, with the important <laughs> stuff, but I don't think he even inflated his balloon too much for that answer. So let me say one thing, though, and this is uh, uh, knowledge not available elsewhere outside of Motley Fool Money podcast. Actually, it is, but, but it's still <laughs> worth covering. There are actually two kinds of unemployment numbers. There's the regular unemployment number. That was the one that went from 9.5% to 9.4%, where people call around and ask people, do you want a job and do you have one? So it ignores people who might have backed out of the workforce to go to school or, or to have a baby. There's a separate number. A pay, a, exactly. Yeah. A payroll number where you call employers and ask them, have you added jobs, cut jobs? That number is still down. They lost 247,000 jobs that way. So the numbers still aren't quite as good as people think. I mean, unemployment is, is way above the, the long-term average now. It's gotten a little bit better, but it could stay above 9% for, for five years if, if the recession lasts that long. Well, so, I mean, in terms of the numbers, uh, yeah, it definitely was not all good news. I right. mean, we had worse-than-expected retail numbers. Uh, Same-store sales in July fell 5.1%. I mean... Yeah, that speaks to the whole the, the issue of consumer spending. You know, again, 70% of the economy is powered by consumer spending, and when people are holding back, and that was reflected in the retail uh, numbers that came out for July, um, right, that's not going to uh, simulate the economy. And even though, you know, of course, it is good news that people are, are fewer people are out of work, uh, depending on which metric you want to use to look at that. Uh, People need to have some uh, reality and, and have, have some perspective on the reality of the situation and not pop the cork in the champagne quite yet. James, yeah. we, we got some people out there saying the Cash for Clunkers program is one of the culprits in all of this. Are, are you one of those? Yes, I am. Speaking <laughs> of consumer spending and making laws, I mean, this is a, a, a boondoggle in, in my mind of the first order that subsidizes uh, people who bought gas guzzlers and, and the companies that, that made them for so long. I mean, clearly, at, at a minimum, I have to say that the 
government just grossly underpriced this. You know, we're, we're, we're getting, in some cases, perfectly good vehicles off the road and destroying them. Um, I'm all for getting these, these gas guzzlers off, but I think this is a very poor way to do it. The fact that the money was gone in days is just is kind of ridiculous. Well, I think, it's, I think the thing that, that, that I laughed about with that is that everybody down here in Washington has patted themselves on the back for giving away a billion dollars in less time than they expected. I mean, let's put that in perspective. They, all they did was give away a billion dollars. <laughs> it's not that hard. You know, our, our colleague Byrne was in the studio here before, and he walked over the six-pack and said, does anybody want a beer? We took them. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's Jim not. Jim took seven. It's <laughs> not, well, you know, you got to, and Byrne's out there patting himself on the back for, for buying beers. I don't know. Good news, America. AIG, the giant insurer that is 80% owned by U.S. taxpayers, posted its first profit in nearly two years on Friday, sending shares as much as 23% higher. AIG still has to repay more than $80 billion in taxpayer loans. James, help me with the math here. Uh, this seems like a good thing for investors and taxpayers. Is it? Well, well, first, let's put, put this perspective. I mean, yeah, AIG is kind of a Lazarus of a stock. I mean, it, if you wanted to get rich quick, you bought AIG this week. It was up over 80%. Ironically, much of that gained before the announcement. So I don't I don't know what's going on there, but it's Cash for clunkers? <laughs> <laughs> good point. Um, a lot of but, wealthy but people in the Treasury Department. Perspective, week. they had a profit of $2 billion. They took a total of $180 billion in government aid, including $80 billion in government loans. So they've got a little while before they, they climb out of this hole. I mean, I, I frankly have no idea how they're going to do it. I mean, they sold some assets recently for about $2.5 billion, so, so maybe that brings down that, that debt a little bit, but it's a long way to go, and they're not making that much money. In fact, their, their core operations weren't that good. These were mostly uh, mark-to-market gains, which are just simply uh, improvements in the value of existing assets AIG holds. I mean, their, their, their core operations actually worsened. So is uh, you said it was a, a great time to get rich quick just buying the stock this week. I mean, looking out over the next 6, 12, 24 months. You might get just as poor quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, AIG is probably a great indicator of how other financials are doing of, of sort of, you know, a proxy for, for corporate credit uh, in America. But, but I wouldn't use it for more than that. I mean, this company is a company that's going to get ripped apart by the government sooner rather than later. I mean, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal just the other day talking about how the, the people that are going to get rich off this are the uh, financial advisors who are going to help spin off all the different parts of the company. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, AIG, probably a stock you don't, you don't want to play with, but somebody's going to make money. It's probably just not going to be us. This week, Google CEO Eric Schmidt stepped down from Apple's board of directors, only the latest sign that things are heating up between the two companies. Guys, what's more surprising, that Schmidt stepped down from the board or that he was on Apple's board to begin with? Well, I think that it, this was inevitable at, at, at some point. It's almost like a, a comedian inviting a heckler on stage uh, <laughs> for a laugh. And Google's not joking when it comes to the, the operating system <laughs> competition, uh, both for computers and for uh, mobile devices, despite what Seth would say uh, were he here. <laughs> Well, what do you think? I mean, are, are they on a collision course? Well, you, you know, a couple of years ago, the reason they obviously got together was that everybody hated Microsoft. Microsoft was the big giant. And the old saying is the enemy of the enemy or the enemy of, of, of my enemy is my friend. And that was what you had with Google and Apple. As Shannon said, they're, they're headed straight at each other, particularly in the mobile space. And, you know, I, I think Schmidt at, at this point was recusing himself from most of the important business and Apple meetings anyway. So maybe Apple's just trying to save the director's fees. 
Yeah, I don't think even there there are grand designs just yet. I think Google is just trying to stretch its 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 reach as broadly as it can, like probably any company would, like Microsoft did. They're going to see where they end up. My money is not on Google for the long run. I mean, I think I think it's a great company, but but I actually like Apple better. Okay. I'm a Mac maniac, so I have to say that. But, but I actually <laughs> I actually do like Apple. Okay, Shannon, Tim, what about you? Over the next five years, you if you had to hold one of these two stocks, what would you hold? Uh, well, only because I know what Tim is going to say. I'm going to take the opposite side of that, of that <laughs> argument. Right. <laughs> for taking the opposite <laughs> side. Uh, I'm going uh, to say Google, even though it's an ad sales company, it's an endlessly inventive uh, ad sales company. At some point, one of these you know, uh, efforts that uh, is, always seems to be underway and emerging from, from Google is going to take off, and maybe it will be the Chrome operating system. Well, I'm going to take obviously the opposite side here and say you'd have to be brain dead to want to own Google. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, wow. the, the the way I mean, the company you know put the operations aside. The company, the way the company treats their shareholders is just so so abhorrent. I mean, between their dual class share structure, you know, the 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 money they they spend as they see fit, you know, on whether it's uh, Larry Page's wife's company or on you know whatever alternative energy project they want to pursue, and then at the end of the day, you know, the options repricing. I mean, they clearly don't care about outside shareholders. They care about themselves. Although the shareholders do get to use the search engine for free. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's a couple of tips for all you business executives out there thinking about defrauding investors. One, you shouldn't do it. And two, you really shouldn't do it in China. China's state media reported the country executed two business people for defrauding investors out of more than $127 million. One of the defendants was a beauty parlor owner who had collected more than $100 million from investors by promising them monthly returns of up to 10%. The second defendant took in the equivalent of $24 million after promising investors they could receive interest of up to 108%. Very specific there. Do we sell our <laughs> newsletters in China? <laughs> Tim, you're one of the advisors on our international investing service. You recently returned from uh, a, chip to, a trip to China. Um, what did you think when you saw this story? It's funny. Uh, the first time we went to China was in 2007, and, and we asked somebody, first meeting we had was, you know, American investors are really skeptical about China. How, how you know, prevalent is fraud here? And we got a deadpan answer basically said, well, if you commit it, you're, you're probably going to be executed. And, and that that's a pretty big deterrent at the end of the day. That doesn't mean China has, <laughs> has corporate governance issues, but, you know, they, they mean business when it comes to... Uh, improving their standing in the world. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, China would like to be part of the G2 with just the United States, and they know they have a long way to go to get there in terms of corporate governance and development and all those things. But, you know, this is what they know how to do. They execute more people than any other country in the world, and when they're looking to solve a problem or deter a problem from happening, this is uh, this is their strategy. I, I, I want to ask Tim, Tim a question as our uh, uh, in-house China expert. So, you know, you look at the rally, and there's been a, a big rally in emerging market stocks. And if the the you know, flight to risk, I guess you could call it, continues unabated, what happens uh, to China as it's perceived as being a safer play on the emerging markets? Does does the performance there cool down, or the fact that it's not a monolith? Well, you, you have two factors that play there. The, the first is that I think a lot a lot of Chinese stocks have gotten ahead of themselves. I'll, I'll agree with that. Just particularly in the real estate sector, the banking sector, yep. some real problems that are going to show up on the horizon. But you have to remember. Even though as as people are, are are fleeing, you know, back out into risky markets, the other thing they're going to start fleeing is is the dollar. I suspect, and and so China, you know, the the RMB, even though it's not freely convertible, probably holds value better than most other currencies, right. and, and so that that protects it a little bit. I, I'm a China skeptic. I th I think it's a great big in run waiting to happen. I don't trust the accounting there. Um, obviously, there's a ton you of trust the accounting here. <laughs> More than I trust the accounting <laughs> there. No one is going to get executed here, at least. Maybe that makes me feel better. I was going to say that uh, should probably make you feel worse. Um, 
That's, I have to ponder that. But I- in the meantime, um, I mean, let's let's think about how they do their numbers. I mean, basically, as my, my, my friend uh, Vitaly uh, Katzenelson points out, China tends to count their growth figures when the government releases funds or, or when the money is spent versus when the actual consumer buys something. In other words, when, when, when a stimulus happens. So um, that's fishy. We had re- reports last week that the, the state figures were differing from, from the national figures. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a Wall Street Journal article even yesterday on a, on a human interest level. The prisoners of drywall about this guy who has his house made with Chinese drywall emitting these sulfuric fumes that are toxic and, you know, he doesn't know what to do. So I think just China has, has a lot of its act to clean up. Definitely, definitely there would be fortunes to be made, but I think that the power shares gold drag and China ETF is up 62% this year versus 11% for the S&P. I, I just worry that it's a little bit rich right now. All right. As we head into the next week, guys, give me one stock that's on your radar. Shannon, we'll start with you. Well, so this is an unlikely uh, radar stock for me, but it's Sprint Nextel, and it's up more than 100% on a year-to-date basis. And just sort of doing some back-of-the-envelope calculations, it still looks like a bargain. Definitely not for uh, the faint of heart. It's been profitability challenge over the last couple of years, but it's a, a free cash flow. Not a cow, exactly, but it cranks out a lot of free cash a flow. A calf? A heifer? It's a, it's a calf. <laughs> I would give it that. Uh, and about $18 billion in revenue during fiscal 2008. Not a great year, obviously. So, uh, looking at where it's trading now, which is below four bucks uh, a pop, it looks like a, a, a bargain. About forty percent of this back of the envelope calculation discount to intrinsic value. So now I'm going to start using the front of the envelope in an Excel spreadsheet to get serious about it. Okay, front of the envelope calf. Got it. James, so four dollar stock. I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, if if you're a believer in 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 this nascent recovery. You know, one one thing you might want to do is, is go to the riskier stocks. One of them is Sasol. It's a South African company that that converts coal to fuel and and, and is trying to convert uh, gas, natural gas, to, to liquid fuel as well. Ticker is SSL. It is, it is definitely risky, but it's a commodity play, and it will definitely soar if the economy picks back up. Tim Hansen. Well, I'm going to talk about a little company that might benefit from this whole AIG breakup we were talking about earlier, and that's a company called NSTAR Group, ticker ESGR. And basically what they do is buy insurance lines that nobody wants anymore, and they buy them for less than their fair value and then close them out. Any company that's selling insurance lines, well, that makes it a target-rich environment for the for the good people at Bermuda-based NSTAR. Okay, so I uh, mentioned at the top that Seth isn't here this week because um, he, he and his wife uh, had their first child, and, and mother and daughter and, and Seth are, are all doing well. Um, and so we like to offer advice, you know, for a new father. And I think it would be really easy for you, Shannon, or you, James, or me, because we're all fathers. I think it would be easy for us to offer Seth some advice. So let's go contrarian. Okay. Uh, Tim, uh, <laughs> you're married, but you don't we're have getting, any kids. We're getting signals from the control room here. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you, you have a cat. Uh, a big cat. A big cat. And Steve? Uh, that counts. <laughs> Steve, you've been married for six days. Yes. You also have a cat. So I have two cats. Two cats. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess that we'll, makes them 100% more qualified than Exactly. Me. So I think we'll start with Tim. Uh, advice for Seth Jason, new father. Don't drop the baby. Wow, that's you know, <laughs> yeah. that's straight it's to the point. Hard to yeah. argue with that. Yeah, my hard. brother, my brother, uh, uh, short short story. On the way home from the hospital, my brother got to carry me in. My brother was ten at the time. Cut the corner too short, clipped off the top of my head. I kid you not, blood the whole nine yards. God, that explains so much. A, a big, uh, clipped or clipped off. I'm picturing something <laughs> very different. <laughs> there was no decapitation, okay, but okay. but I, I don't remember the pain. But my mom says I was not happy about it. Steve, what what do you got for <laughs> Seth? Um, let's see. I don't know a ton about children. I would say baby, baby-proof <laughs> things. It seems like those little rascals get into all kinds of trouble. Cover so. that Drano. Cover the Drano. 
baby proof things. Really? That's what you're coming with? That's all I got for you right now. Does that mean like tape the corners of the table with duct tape? Did anybody do that? I, the glass is probably a bad idea. Glass tables never seem good. <laughs> it's a whole industry now. There's no taping. You buy special devices to cover those corners, buddy. Wow. Fancy. And, and Steve, like like flammable stuff too. Keep that away from the baby. It's probably a good idea. <laughs> All right, Tim Hansen, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman, guys, thanks for being here. Good Thank to be you, with you, Chris. Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decision. And remember, the conversation continues twenty four seven at Fool.com. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next time. <laughs>